Welcome back to another episode of Independent Thought. My name is Desmond Price. For today's episode, we are joined by Zuri Moreno. Zuri, how are you doing today? Thanks for being on the show. I'm doing pretty well. How are you? Good, good. You know, today we are going to be talking about, you know, private prisons, a little bit of criminal justice, and a topic that I haven't talked about yet, which I'm very curious to take, get your take on, which is uh, prison abolition. But mm-hmm. first, before we get into any of those broader topics. The first question I want to ask you about is something that's been happening here in the state of Montana, where we both live. It is a subject around this company called Core Civic and what's happening with them in the state of Montana. Can you tell us a little bit about what's been going on in the past legislative session here in Montana? Yeah. Uh, so just a little bit of background, Core Civic, um, a company formerly known as Corrections Corporation of America, is a Tennessee-based Uh, private for-profit business that owns and operates prisons and detention facilities across the U.S. And um, in Shelby, Montana, CoreCivic has owned and operated the Crossroads Community Corrections Facility in um, Shelby, um, colloquially referred to as Shelby Prison, which is probably what I'll refer to it as here, but you'll hear it as Crossroads as well. Um, The Shelby Prison was built in the late 1990s and has been owned and operated operated by CoreCivic since the facility opened, um, and that's over 20 years. And so to the reason I'm giving all this background is because it really paints the picture of like how long Montana State has had this um, relationship with CoreCivic. And in this past legislative session, uh, CoreCivic lobbyists successfully convinced legislators that Montana should increase the amount of money that we pay them um, for the Shelby facility, as well as um, sign a new contract with CoreCivic um, that, so in the budget, it's allocated $8 million for that new contract. Um, And the reason we need a new contract is actually because um, Montana legislators decided that it was a good idea to send up to 100 people convicted in Montana to the state of Arizona to be incarcerated. Oh, okay. Um, Let me just ask you right there. Why are we sending people to another state to be incarcerated versus keeping them here in Montana? I don't understand why that's happening. Yeah, and it's not a new practice. Like I feel pretty devastated saying that it's not specific to Montana um, and it's not something new that Montana has engaged in. In fact, before the Shelby facility was even built, Montana was contracting with CoreCivic in a number of other facilities that they operate in other states. Um, So even before this 20-year relationship we've had with them, we had this other relationship with them. And the reason that this happens is because we reach capacity Um, or one of the reasons this happened is we reach capacity in our current prison facilities and we start to overflow into county facilities. Okay. And that that's kind of vague. And so I I just want to specifically say for folks who are not familiar at all 
with the criminal justice system in Montana. We have two state-owned prisons, Montana, Montana State Prison um, in Deer Lodge and yeah. a women's prison in Billings. And so they're they're overcrowded and we now the state is paying counties to hold folks um, who are in DOC custody, Department of Corrections custody, um, to hold them in their county facilities. Right. One of the things that we had mentioned when we spoke about this previously was that they were being a they weren't being real, I guess, explanatory when it came to how the money was going to be used. Right. So they were asking for a certain amount, but they weren't really divvying out the details of where that money was going or, you know, what it was actually what they needed that amount for. Have we gotten any more details about that since the last time you and I spoke about this? No. Um, and I don't anticipate that we would, you know, the the legislature is giving eight million dollars, four million per year okay. to DC to negotiate this new contract um, with Core Civic. And yeah, you you know, once the contract is signed, we can do an internet search to look at it. But I, I don't think there's any public discourse or public information about what's going to be contained in that contract. Yeah. Including how long that contract might be. And, you know, those were concerns that advocates brought up during the session is, what programming is available for folks who are being incarcerated in Arizona? What are the facilities, um, the access to care? Um, what do these facilities look like? Where are folks, what even Arizona facility are folks going to be sent to? Wait, they don't um, even know what facility they're being sent to? I mean, some legislators do, I'm sure, but we are not hearing the specific details wow. of, of where... Um, people are going to be held um, in Arizona and yeah. what it's going to be like there for them. So the question that I, I that my mind comes to next is when we talk about, you know, people who are, you know, currently incarcerated, this is a subject that I, I know for a fact that when people hear it, like some people just like, it just go like straight over their head and you're like, why do I care about what's happening to people who are incarcerated? They're, they're criminals. They did, they did this, they did that, you know, like, so why should people, people be concerned about, you know, the fact that we are sending people to other States to, you know, how the fact that we don't really know how this money's being spent at all. Like, can you speak to that a little bit? Yes, I will. So there's a couple pieces to this, right? So I think that one of the first things that will people will be open to listening to is how much money we spend on incarceration in yeah. Montana and for the department of corrections as a whole, we have given them $500 million to spend over the next two years. Included in that is the contracts with core civic. It's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. <laughs> That's a lot of money. <laughs> And, yeah. and so, the, you know, that's that's one of the first things I bring up, because as much as I want to bring up the human rights violations that are right. occurring, both in CoreCivic and our DOC facilities, we have in our culture, in our society, a very successful narrative to not have compassion for folks who are pulled into our criminal justice system, who are ending up in our jails and prisons. Yeah. And 
And we, we really need to look at this bigger picture. If we're spending this much money on incarceration, we have an over-incarceration problem. Yeah. And we have limited revenue to spend in the state. And so the money that's going towards incarceration is getting pulled away from services and programs in the state that would actually really help everybody. You know, speaking to human rights violations, you know, again, you know, when we spoke about this previously, you had mentioned that, you know, when this, you know, when this was being proposed, you know, in the state legislature, the conversation then transitioned to the Senate, at which point human rights violations were kind of being brought up more and more. What were some of those conversations like? And what exactly should people know from what was happening in the chamber? Yeah, well, <clears throat> some of the reasons we didn't bring it up in the House is because there was an actual um, public discourse allowed around this contract, mm-hmm. um, which is a, a whole detail that we don't have to get into. Um, but that is why we brought the, brought these things up in the Senate. Um, yeah. And I mean, I think that shrug is probably the nicest response that we got from um, conservative legislators and some moderate um, Democrats. Like, yeah, yeah, like this stuff happens and it happens in, in the Department of Corrections facilities too and counties. So what? And like, when I say that's the nicest response, I mean, there were some really ugly um and this is happening in one-on-one conversations, um, ugly responses from legislators that are really, um, you know, along that same narrative of an inability to have compassion for folks who are incarcerated. You know? Oh, go ahead. Um, And, you know, I would say that, like, while there are others who were like, of course, I feel concern about the stories that we're sharing, that you're sharing with us, um, but then they don't really think about it further than that. Like people are really concerned with the money and how we can get a good deal on incarcerating people and how we're running out of space in Montana to incarcerate people. Um, And the whole topic is really framed um, as an offender problem instead of what it is, which is an over-incarceration problem. Yeah. The the one other thing that I'll add here um is just an anecdote, but I do I do think it plays into the dynamics that we experience in the legislative session. You know, I'm an advocate there. There were other advocates there, and after a hearing, one of Core Civic's lobbyists walked up to me and like nudged me and jokingly accused me of picking on his client. And I think that this is just like one example of the sentiment from lobbyists and DOC staff and legislators that hearing about actual people, inmates and facility staff who have experienced harm, um, a lot like a a loss of dignity, um, a complete lack of interest in their well-being. There's just like people don't, aren't taking that seriously. No, I mean, obviously, from from that from that moment that you just share with us, that that is incredibly 
I, I don't know the right way framing there. Striking, uh, appalling, uh, just if you're in a moment where someone's testifying and talking about, you know, human rights violations and trauma and, you know, indignity and so on and so forth. And then you hear all of that. And your next reaction is to walk up to somebody and say, Hey, stop picking on my client, uh, in a joking, sarcastic way. Like, like you're not taking any of this seriously. And, and yeah. so that, that is, that is incredibly damning. Thank you for sharing that with us. And, you know, when we come back from our break, I want to talk about kind of more specifically, the overarching themes of our justice system and maybe like why we might need some changes here in this country and in the state of Montana. I will be right back after this break. Hey, Indie Thought listeners. Has this past year helped you rediscover your creative and crafty side? Well, then you're going to love our sponsor for today's episode. Bathing Beauties Beads is a full service bead shop in the heart of downtown Missoula. Whether it's seed beads, semi-precious stones, vintage beads, or just materials to make a project, they have something for every person and every price range. Not from Missoula? Don't worry. They have an extensive online store and they will ship directly to you. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, they'll welcome you and help you make your next project a reality. You can find them online at Bathing Beauties Beads on Instagram and Facebook or at bathingbeautiesbeads.com. And don't forget to use offer code INDEPENDENTTHOUGHT at checkout to save 15% on your order. Betty's Divine is a locally owned boutique on the magnificent hip strip in downtown Missoula, Montana that has been a fixture in the Mountain West since 2005. We have a fondness for vintage-inspired clothing, shoes, and accessories for humans, as well as the real deal found in our vintage department, Divine Trash. Betty's Divine presents a snapshot of Northwest styles with an emphasis on street, skate, surf, and rock and roll culture, as well as Americana classics. Alongside a radical selection of clothing, Betty's Divine offers a damn fine array of shoes, jewelry, records, and accessories to satisfy any taste, whatever your age or vibe. You can count on us to prioritize financial, social, and environmental responsibility without sacrificing the look. Visitors enjoy a lovely atmosphere, dreamy tunes, and the best customer service in the West. And you can shop us online at bettysdivine.com. Welcome back from the break, everyone. Thank you for sticking with us through this episode of Independent Thoughts. So before we went on the break, we were talking about, you know, core civic and the different things going on with the Montana prison population. It kind of leads me to talking about things in a more broad sense now, talking about the criminal justice system here in America. You know, obviously, Montana is not the only state that has its issues. We're seeing issues happening across the country. When you think about our current like carceral system, do you think that it's geared towards criminalizing poor people. This is something that I've heard people say in the past. And if so, why do you think that's the case? Um, so for your first question, are are we criminalizing being poor? Yes. Um, yes, 100%. Um, every part of our criminal legal system is built in a way that criminalizes poverty and allows for those with wealth, access to relationships, access to resources to not get pulled into that system at every level. Um, 
you know, when we look at who is more likely to be targeted by police, who is more likely to not to have insufficient legal representation, who is more likely to be held pre-trial in jail, um, and who is more likely to lose some or all of the stability in their lives if they're held pre-trial. Um, and it just goes on, like who's more likely to have harsher sentences without the option of treatment or non-incarceration options, um, who will struggle to pay fines or fees, who will struggle in re-entry. Like we see consistently folks who um, who are already struggling um, with poverty or, uh, or low income have less uh, shield from the criminal justice system and get pulled in. And then it's very hard for them to basically escape it um, in a way that they aren't harmed more. Yeah. And it just, <laughs> it takes longer for folks who have la less access to resources um, and and I, I bring up relationships here too, and like less um, clout in the community to protect them from from these uh, systems. And I I want to highlight really quick one piece of this, if that's okay. Yeah. So the right to legal representation, because I do think even then people are like, oh, I don't know. Like we get that narrative of like people just shouldn't commit crime. People should follow the law. And I actually really like want to push against that entire narrative and, and look at, um, you know, the right to legal representation in Montana and what that looks like. Yeah. If you are someone who is low income, um, we have this statewide agency called the Office of Public Defender, which a judge will assign a public defender to a person who isn't able to pay for their legal representation or is a minor. And I just want to say like Core Civic um, pretty easily, I think, got a lot more money this session while advocates fought and fought and fought to get the Office of Public Defender more money. And we didn't win. Um, it was a struggle. And it has been since the statewide agency was created to get it adequately funded. And some of the reason for that is because county attorneys and prosecutors and police are all seen as better messengers around the criminal justice system than public defenders. And specifically whether public defenders need more money. Um, but if you're in, you know, you, um, I should, I'll just speak from the eye. If I um, am arrested for a crime and I go in front of a judge and they decide that like I get a public defender, public defenders can't be like, oh, we don't have enough money. I'm sorry, we can't, they have to. It is right. a legal right to representation. So then what happens is that attorneys, um, and they have an amazing team of attorneys. I'm so grateful for them. Um, but they are the least paid attorneys in the state and they're extremely overworked and they often have to spend their money on contracting, do, getting contract attorneys. Yeah. Um, because if they didn't, they would be violating our basic right to adequate legal representation. And in Montana, um, they actually got in, like the Office of Public Defender got in trouble in the courts because they, they so many um, of folks who needed that representation were being held in jail. Things were being held up in the courts 
because the Yellowstone County Office of Public Defender didn't have the resources they needed to represent folks. And at the end of the day, the people who hurt the most are the people that they need to be representing, people who can't get out of jail because they can't post cash bail. Oh, just about to ask you about that one. And it's... yeah, I have a look. I'll do, be quick on cash bail um, if you want me to talk about it. Um, I'm going to I'm gonna put it up here, though, really oh, quick. Yeah, go ahead. And just quickly say that um, not only do legislators not want to fully fund the Office of Public Defender, they actually want to erode the rights of people by saying like, oh, you don't need an, a public defender if you're being charged with a misdemeanor or let's have these things not, um, you know, what's the bare minimum? I've heard a legislator say this. What's the bare minimum we have to fund the Office of Public Defender within the constitutional mandate? Not and surprised. And this is at the same moment in the same session or even in the same hearing where we're talking about expanding the criminal code, where we're talking about, um, you know, paying private prisons. Yeah. This, it's just wild to listen to. Um, and expanding the criminal code for everyone in our population, you know, there was a bill that didn't pass this session where we saw that, um, one legislator tried to expand the number of crimes we could try children as adults for. That is terrifying. It didn't pass. I'm so grateful. And like, that shouldn't be a bill that we're discussing. No, no. I thought the Republicans were trying to protect children. Yes. That's what I hear too. That's what I heard. Uh, so that's, uh, that is unbelievable. You know, like it, it, truthfully, and I, I'm glad you you mentioned cash bail because that's actually one of the things I wanted to ask you about uh, specifically. You know, I, I constantly hear about people talking about different ways that we can improve the criminal justice system. Cash bail, eliminating that feels like a pretty straightforward slam dunk in, in my mind. You know, I know that a state like Illinois recently was talking about getting rid of it. Uh, they were receiving lots of pushback in the state saying that, oh, you're just going to be sending more more criminals on the street this way. And in my mind, like logically speaking, you know, and I would hope that even if you weren't someone who was on the left, that this could appeal to your senses in some way. The amount of money that you have shouldn't predicate whether or not you stay in jail. That 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 I, I feel like that should just be common sense, right? Like, you know, there shouldn't be like, oh, well, if you have money and you commit a crime, you can leave. But if you don't have money and you commit a crime, then you must stay. Like that that is absurd that we even have that in place in, in the first place. It besides, but talking about crim about cash bail here for a second, let, let's talk about that specifically. But then also, what are some other policies that you think that we kind of should be enacting to make the criminal justice system a little more just equitable, a little more fair for people who are caught up in it? I want to give just a quick for anyone who's listening and is like, what is what is really the cash bail? Because I do think it gets talked about a lot, which is yeah. fantastic. And it it is when a court determines the amount of money someone has to pay to secure their release from jail. They've been, you know. They haven't had a trial. They are, they've just, you know, this is their first um, moment in front of a judge. 
And the consequences that we already talked about is the people who don't have access to resources or relationships in the community that could maybe raise this money, um, spend time in jail pre-trial. We have taken away the freedom of somebody who hasn't even been convicted of a crime yet. And right. So what, why do we keep saying presumed innocent until guilty when, and I think that this is another thing that people don't realize is I'm not talking about days and even days. It can be devastating. Right. Consequences of spending um, days in jail. I am talking about months. People in Montana being held for months pre-trial because they cannot afford to get out of jail. Well, I think that answers the question about whether or not the system criminalizes the poor now, doesn't it? Yeah, I think so. And, you know, people, people even hear like, oh, you spent a couple days in jail. Why is that a big deal? Well, for someone who has a job where you don't show up to work for three days, you don't have a job anymore. Yeah. You also don't have a reference for another job, right? If you are a single parent and your kid, like you don't pick your kid up from school, what do you think is going to happen? You know, you, what if you're in jail for a month and you didn't pay rent? Like look at the current housing situation and the yeah. current lack of tenants' rights across our state. Like this can be so destabilizing for community members before they've even been convicted of a crime. And that's not even to mention the trauma of being held in jail. Um, and cash bail is just a devastating, has a devastating effect for low income um, and folks living in poverty. And there are some things that, um, there's this one idea of where we take away cash bail and then you get in front of the judge and the prosecutor is forced to prove the need for detention, the need to hold somebody. Um, and there are limits, if at all, on like um, what offense could qualify detention pre-trial. Yeah. Like it really determined, like you have to show, make a case for taking away someone's freedom instead of having a sheet of paper that oftentimes judges have. And they're like, oh, this is the offense. Here's the bail. Like no context for the person who's standing in front of them and their life circumstances and the right. impact of holding someone or making someone pay that money. Yeah. I mean, it's, it can be devastating. And again, we're talking about people who at the end of this whole entire thing might be innocent of whatever it is that they're being, you know, accused of. And it, it truth, truthfully, it kind of like, it puts a magnifying glass on just how much the system kind of is geared towards just taking in a profit, right? I mean, like, like that, that's, that, that's the real reason for it. If you take a step back and you ask yourself, like, why is this happening? It, it's the profit motive, right? I mean, the system is trying to make money off of these people 
And that's the reason why cash bail is still enacted, because if that wasn't the case, they would have just gotten rid of it because it's unethical. It's really obvious it's unethical. You know, like it shouldn't matter how much money you have as a determination of whether or not you stay inside of a jail. Like that, that the only reason you put that in place is to make a profit. So it's honestly, you know, I'll speak for myself here, not speaking for you, obviously here. I think it's disgusting. And it, it again, it's it should be an easy fix. Just take that out. It, it shouldn't, it should never be involved in the system, like no way, shape or form, you know, but kind of talking about this a little bit more deeply, you know, you and I have been talking about this, you know, like, you know, today, previous days online, we've spoken about, you know, criminal justice issues for a while now. This is something that you're incredibly passionate about. And I kind of wanted to bring a more like personal sense to this really quickly here. Why are you like particularly just uh, someone who really believes in advocating for, you know, people who are inside the criminal justice system. Uh, what kind of events like led up to this being something that uh, a topic that you're passionate about? Like, uh, was it one thing in particular? Was it a chain of events? Like, how did this come about be about for you? I, um, as a person who um, has gotten gotten to listen to folks share with me their personal stories. Like it always actually feels a little hard for me to answer um, this yeah. question when folks ask it of me. And I think that the best answer that I can give is that like sometime in my twenties, um, I just gathered enough. This is such a funny way to phrase it. Like I just gathered enough data from living and observing like how our criminal justice system system really works um, hearing how people talk about currently and formerly incarcerated individuals, seeing how it impacted people in my life, including family members, um, being a survivor of sexual assault and thinking about what would justice really look like for me Yeah, and realizing that there's something very wrong with our criminal justice system. And even even in that realization, still not knowing, like there's so much to take apart that our society tells us um, is just how it is. Prisons yeah. just are. They always will be. Police just are, and they always will be. Um, and really looking at that and saying, no, um, there can be something better something that actually prioritizes healing and repair for survivors and community and healing and repair for folks who have caused harm. You know, I, I struggle to see the department of corrections talk about how their priority is, um, treatment or their priority is rehabilitation and they don't that is all words i don't see that in any of their actions i don't see that in the actions of any officials who are part of the criminal justice system yeah well that's honestly leads right into my next question do you think that prisons are obsolete do you think that they have a purpose uh should we be rethinking them and how we use them or should we be getting rid of them altogether? I've heard people talk about just getting rid of prisons altogether. I personally 
don't know that I can get on board with that, but I am definitely interested in hearing like what your vision of, of how we might be able to change the prison system might be. I, I want to like first say that we have, I have always appreciated our chance to like talk through this. Um, yeah. when we've gotten to do that, either like messaging back and forth or getting on the phone and it always really helps me to talk with folks who are willing to bring curiosity to this question yeah. and in honesty about the real fears of what if we abolished prisons? Yeah. Um, because I think that we need to, we need to discuss those. Cause I think what I hear often from folks is like, what will happen? Um, Cause we think there's going to be like a vacuum. Right. Um, and I will state up front. I do believe we should abolish prisons. Um, I also believe we should abolish the police. I see all these resources going towards locking people up, policing people. And what we're going to put in that vacuum is actually a lot of resources for healthcare and education and housing and making sure that people have the things that actually allow them to be have access to safety and security in our communities. And I, I guess I should have also prefaced this answer with like, I see myself as a student of abolition. I am constantly asking myself this question, like, how can we make this possible? Yeah. And then have to go and find um, answers from folks who are really diving into this, like, we are going to make prison abolition possible. We are going to make police abolition possible. And these are the steps to do it. Um, cause I, I do really, um, still as a student of this, um, of this cause of getting rid of our, the criminal justice system as we know it, um, I'm still learning a lot, Yeah, but we need a new foundation so we can build a structure that actually supports community members with their needs, with their troubles, with their hard times. Um, that includes substance use, that includes, uh, mental health crises that includes a lot of things that can exacerbate into other um, other things that we have labeled crimes. I mean, I'm not going to disagree with you around the edges here because I mean, while I personally can't envision uh, how society would look without there being prisons intact or there or there being like existing in some form or fashion, the idea that we over incarcerate. I agree a hundred percent. I think there's so many reasons why people are sent to jail that just don't make any sense to me. Mm -hmm. I think that there's so many people who are in jail who have no business ever being there in the first place. The crimes they commit, the, the crimes that they commit just make no sense to me whatsoever. I think that the system as a whole is something that's in place for the sake of profit more so than actually protecting the communities. So it's um, like so many other things in our country, it's expletive. You know, it's completely built on exploitation and if it is going to continue it needs dramatic reform in my personal opinion and uh kind of to what you were talking about as far as like the vacuum would be concerned about like basically how much more money would be freed up if these things didn't exist uh, to the police particularly mm -hmm. you know if you look at the people's republic of china and how much money they spend on their military every year 
they stand the second most in the world next to the United States. And in the United States, the amount of money that we spend on police every year is actually more money than China spends on its military. And hearing that stat, that staggering amount of money that we put into the police every year and to incarcerating people every year, it just, it does make you wonder well, how society could look different if we were using that money in a different way, because we obviously have the money, like we, we have the money, you know, there's just no, there's no debating that there's no denying that. But I wanted to kind of end this on a more positive note, because we were talking about this, um, talking about this, this uh, entity called Freeverse. And mm. I wanted to kind of like give you the floor to kind of speak about what exactly Freeverse is and kind of like why what they're doing is important. Yeah, I uh, first got connected with Freeverse in 2020 um, when I was doing some organizing work around the conditions that currently incarcerated were experiencing um, during the pandemic, and they were horrific. Um, and, you know, I um, I think I was searching for folks who get to interact with um, currently incarcerated. And I found out about this group that's a like a collaborative nonprofit that is artists and teachers and social workers and writers. And, and they go into facilities, youth facilities, um, and they create a space for youth to be creative and to talk about um, their experiences, potentially their trauma, like what led up to them being in this position in their life in the criminal justice system. Yeah. And, um, you know, the youth are allowed the space to create, to use their voices and an anthology is created um, by the works that they're producing. And, you know, I, it allows, I think the public to, to see the human and creative side of kids. And I, I know that there are teenagers who don't appreciate being referred to as a kid. I didn't as a teenager. So, yeah. you know, youth in facilities who are separated from their families are separated from their communities. And I don't know, you know, how often they're really given space to be creative and to share, um, part of who they, part of who they are through that creativity. Um, and so they publish and they exhibit, um, oftentimes this creative work. And I just think that it's so important for people to see that and listen to it. Um, one thing that, oh my God, I just, it like hurt to read, um, someone share about hunger. Like this is my memories of like that led up to being engaged in the criminal justice system was because I was hungry. Yeah. We didn't have access to food and it makes you realize they're human beings being held um, against their will in facilities. And that I just think that Freeverse allows one small, all glimmer of um, their voices to come out and be shared with the community. 
And I hope that it moves people when they read that and they realize like all of these youth deserve so much better. And youth who are pulled into the criminal legal system are more likely to be pulled into it as an adult, um, which perpetuates that cycle. And I don't, I just think they do amazing um, work and I highly recommend anyone to connect with them or if you have the resources to donate to um, this nonprofit. I think that's incredibly important and we'll be sure to make sure the links to, to what they have going on will be in the episode description. So for those who are interested in that, uh, check out the episode description now. You will see those links. Yeah, I, I got to say, I, I'm glad that we're ending on something more positive because that is, these types of programs are, are so necessary. You know, especially you kind of giving a, a real quick personal note about myself. I spent some time, you know, like actually in a in a detention center as a child uh, for being involved with a couple different criminal activities. And I had lots of friends who also ended up going to, to jail when we were teenagers. And it completely upends your life. It really does. And some of my friends that I had from when I was younger, their lives never really recovered. Some did, some didn't. But the, the system, like, I have to be honest with you, it's incredibly predatory. And so anything that is put into place that is kind of seen as a way to help those, especially at a young age who are affected by this, because again, we're talking about children. There's so many times where, you know, the things that they get caught up in are just completely outside of their control that no circumstances put you in a place where you kind of felt like you had to do a certain thing and then you're there and then you're not sure what happens next. And that can just perpetuate into years of your life. So this is amazing. Thank you for bringing this up. I think it's incredibly important for any kind of program like this to exist, to help people who are kind of caught up in the system. Incredibly important. Zuri, thank you so much for coming on the show today and talking about this with us. Um, is there a place where people can contact you online? Do you, should we, do you want to do that? Uh, yeah, I, I can share my like Instagram um, link for you to share in the links if you want. Um, it's Z-R-E period Rodriguez. Um, and that's the best way to get in touch with me. And I um, will continue to follow, you know, over incarceration in Montana because we are now set up to like maybe expand our prison facilities. Yep. Um, and I think anyone who's listened, I just want to say thank you to everyone who's listened to this episode and, um, love to talk with folks about this who have genuine curiosity of how we can make things better. Um, and if there are folks who are struggling with really, I think have compassion and curiosity with like what the struggle is, um, we have a really dominant narrative in this country um, around incarceration. And yeah, I just feel really grateful that we got to have this conversation yeah. about, um, you know, what's happening in Montana because it, it's going to continue to impact our communities. Yeah. And you are more than welcome to come back on again in the future. If, you know, there's, you know, talk, talk about this issue again, especially if there's, you know, developments that go on here in the state, which sounds like there probably will be, unfortunately. And, you know, for everyone out there who listened to this episode, I really do thank you so much for taking the time to check this episode out. Uh, if you can go ahead and share it on social media, you know, TikTok, Instagram, 
you know, Twitter, Facebook, for those who still use Facebook, uh, go ahead and share it on there as well. And I hope that you like this episode. I hope you'll listen to the next one. We will see you next time.